When I have a long nap in the afternoon, <laughs> I always feel out of it. So I'm availing myself of some much-needed caffeine to hopefully give some kind of rambling <laughs> talk that will in some way make sense to one person sitting here, and then my job will be done. So tonight's talk is uh, the role of emotions and setting boundaries and stating needs. Got to find a nicer way to... I got to come up with another title for this. <laughs> People will be like, whatever that, I don't, I don't care about this. But anyway, so it's an important talk. So the, um, the brain is devoted to survival, and human beings survive largely due to two fundamental characteristics. One part of the bilateral brain is devoted to focusing attention on objects that we believe will either secure um, us in the future, resources, tools, etc., or obstacles that we believe are threats. And uh, the left hemisphere largely does this by representing the world in stories, ideas, words, symbols. Uh, the left hemisphere is a narrative representational realm which turns everything into uh, essentially narratives or ideas and uh, tends to focus on specific uh, objects to acquire or achieve. It's certainly the consumer realm of the brain. It's the part of the brain that shops, gambles, seeks out sex and drugs. Um, it is the uh, dopamine. But then there's uh, the other uh, hemisphere, right hemisphere, which is the realm of implicit messaging, i.e. emotions. Uh, implicit messaging are nonverbal feelings in the body and moods that we can't control. They just happen. And they are messages that are fundamentally concerned with how securely connected or attached we are to other people. It has no plans for the future, like the left hemisphere. It doesn't want to acquire anything. It simply wants us to be securely connected to other people. That's what the right hemisphere is about. In this way, the right hemisphere is the most principal part of the brain that kept us alive for as a successful species because what makes the human so successful, what makes our species so dominant, is that we connect in times of adversity, in times of challenge or threat. We do not connect actually through, primarily through words or ideas. We connect through nonverbal uh, signals, though we can use our language at times to express our emotional needs. Our emotions signal to us whether we are well connected with other human beings, especially the important what's called attachment figures, or whether we feel vulnerable in our lives and poorly connected. Every time you are sad, it's because you are feeling a disconnection from an attachment figure. Every time you are angry, it's either because of a social injustice, but more likely it will be 
because an individual in your life has uh, essentially transgressed on an expectation or made you feel unsafe or made you feel abandoned. When you feel happy, it's because you have connected to another human being in an authentic way where your emotions have been seen and accepted. So our emotions, in short, are feedback systems letting us know how securely connected we are, and they are very smart. And to the degree that we are not in touch or capable of understanding our emotions or in the habit of repressing our emotions or avoiding our emotions by using defense mechanisms such as thinking, uh, rationalization, intellectualization, fantasy, and so forth, is to the degree to which we will not get our needs met because our emotions are the very core things that are letting us know whether or not we are uh, well connected in a way that feels authentic and true. So the way we learn to connect with other human beings very often steers us in the wrong direction. We learn to how to connect in two ways. One, the early family interactions that happen in the early years of life. These are the what set our attachment styles, the way your parents looked at you, which emotions they mirrored, which emotions they didn't, which impulses they validated, which impulses they shamed or rejected. This creates fundamental learnings for each of us that will steer how in adult life we connect to others. We also, as children, learn through social learning, which is Bandura's great uh, fundamental uh, contribution to psychology. As children, we observe how other children act to get approval, acceptance, care from teachers and other kids. And unfortunately, as we watch other kids, we're not aware that very often they are putting on a performance, that they are pretending that they don't have emotions or fear or sadness. And so we try to imit imitate them, and we believe that our own sadness or fear or anger is somehow a flaw in us that we should get rid of. So... In our family interactions and in our social learnings, we can develop what's known as maladaptive coping strategies that help us survive our childhood and really screw us up in our adult lives. In meshing families where everybody's in everybody's business and there's a lot of what's called triangulation where the parents involve the children in dramas that they shouldn't or where the parents redirect their anxiety and anger towards each other at the child, uh, these children will be rewarded for involvement and worrying about what other people think and constantly seeking approval, and they will shame the child for independence. And the child will therefore be caught in a bifurcating split between wanting to perform as if they constantly care and want to be involved in everything when secretly they just want to have times where they can be left alone. In emotionally avoidant families, they will do the exact opposite. They will reward independence and self-reliance and the child who gets A's and doesn't talk too much about their difficulties, but they will punish the child who seeks 
uh, too much attention or has too many vulnerable emotions. So that child will learn to perform uh, self-reliance and not ask for help when they really need it. The child of an anxious or alcoholic parent will learn to caretake or become a prematurely a caregiver of their own parent, trying to manage their parent's emotions. That's a catastrophe. <laughs> For that child will grow up hypervigilant, worrying about what their partners are feeling. They will constantly mo monitor their partners, and they will not feel okay expressing their own emotional needs. They will instead be trained to take care of other people. I actually uh, know of uh, a woman who's very famous who grew up with a father who was a um, heroin addict musician, and she grew up to become a very, very influential uh, manager in the entertainment industry, taking care of other damaged male uh, psychotics because she had been trained in her childhood and she completely, like all people tend to do, recreate the dominant dramas of childhood and adult life because all of her coping strategies and all of her emotional understandings of the, of the world were set in childhood. So it's so easy to fall into these patterns. The Buddha talked so often about how he believed that human beings enter the social realm with very, very, very poor boundaries. And he spent uh, so many suttas, the Sigalavada, the Digajanu, all the suttas that in the Padimokkha in terms of how to behave with one another, trying to establish safe ways for us to be with one another because he fundamentally said that normal human wiring doesn't prepare us for safe social interactions. Why is that? Well, it's pretty simple. We grow up in situations where we have no power. The parent is the one with the power. The child is utterly dependent on the, power, on the parent to take care of it, meet its needs, this doesn't mean the parent is in any way evil or wrong or bad, hardly. It's just that the parent is so, uh, has so many responsibilities, so many challenges and anxieties and stressors to keep track of, that the parent generally will set rules of conduct that make its life easier, not the child's. Very few children can set adult boundaries with their parents. For instance, I've yet to meet many people in their childhood could say to their parent, Dad, I'm going to give you time to emotionally process your rage, which has been lingering just beneath the surface of your awareness, and I'll be staying at an Airbnb for the foreseeable future until you process it and learn to communicate your boundaries in a safer way. Right now I'm feeling threatened by your dismissiveness. So as a result, because children have to manage and always stay seen, that's their two jobs, to manage their parents' emotions and to stay securely seen. So children will do anything, no matter how inauthentic, to stay seen and stay connected. So they will 
uh, essentially pretend always to be okay. They will avoid conflicts. They will not talk about dramas or, or real needs in their life. They will withhold the difficult emotions that they're experiencing, but their parents have been, were unable to tolerate. Uh, so many children grow up learning to repress either their sadness, their anger, their same-sex attraction, their issues with drugs and alcohol, their fear of, uh, of the family falling apart. So to the degree that we are trained in our childhood to withhold and not disclose our emotions, leads to, uh, one, of course, adult addictions, adult dependence on uh, emotion numbing, because all of our true needs are, are expressed through the body. So if we repress or are not aware of our, as we enter adult life, we all come to a certain degree poorly equipped in establishing real, authentic emotions based on real needs and real boundaries. So what are needs and what are boundaries? Um, needs are the fundamental attachment requirements we have, which are how often we connect, whether we connect in a monogamous or polyamorous way, what, what level of commitment is expected? How often do we expect to be together? What kind of sex we have? All those kinds of things very often are expressed in needs. Needs can never be uh, logically arrived at. They are arrived at through emotional awareness. There is no right needs. You cannot figure out your needs through intellectually pondering them. You have to see through experience in relationship with other people what makes you feel connected and what makes you feel engulfed and what makes you feel abandoned. And then you have to express the things that you need to feel connected in a safe way. If you diminish your needs, withhold them, or move too quickly into physical intimacy before you state your needs, then wonderful things like anxiety, low self-esteem, lack of fulfillment, and feelings of isolation in the relationship will probably arise. Again, to the degree that we worry how our needs will be received by other people is the degree to which we're not only inauthentic, but is the degree to which we will be unhappy in relationships. We are only as unfulfilled as our unstated needs and the needs that we don't make very clear and make sure that are met. Now, needs are different from wants. Wants are things you can get outside of the relationship or you can do on your own. So a need is how often you need to be connected when the times you want to be seen without the other person being on their phone texting. The needs are the times you need to be heard directly, meet in person, uh, physical touch and intimacy. On the other hand, wanting to eat at an Italian restaurant or travel to the Yucatan Peninsula 
those can actually be met by other people. Backpacking can be done alone or with a friend. These are not needs. These are wants. You are allowed to break off a relationship because you're not getting your wants, but you, should, you can always stay in a relationship even though you're not getting everything you want. But you should definitely not be in a relationship if you're not getting your needs met, okay? Your needs are fundamental and they can't be negotiated and they can't, if the other person can't give it to you, then it's our job to detach with love and kindness. Staying in a relationship with someone who does not meet your needs is a recipe for disaster. The Buddha had a wonderful sutta talking about what we need, and he talks about reliability. It's the Mita Sutta. We need reliability, a feeling that our emotions will be safe and tolerated and not judged, and that people will not go behind our backs and talk about us negatively and stuff like that. And so the Buddha acknowledged that without those fundamental needs, you might as well give up on the spiritual practice because you'll be so torn apart by the relationship that you will not probably be able to sit and be comfortable in your own skin if you're in a relationship where you're not getting your needs met. Boundaries are situations we cannot tolerate or behaviors we cannot tolerate. It's our responsible to state our needs and to set our boundaries. Boundaries are things like um, how fast we get into physical intimacy, uh, how we spend our money, how, uh, what activities we engage in, what things uh, make us feel profoundly unsafe. Um, obviously, you can have a boundary about how you make decisions and what decisions you believe in your life should be your own rather than a joint decision. So there are no correct needs and there are no correct boundaries. Our boundaries and needs change as we become increasingly secure in our life, but as we first reach a time in our life where we're ready to start setting needs and boundaries, we'll probably need to set greater needs and boundaries than we will over time. As the more secure we become, the more we surround ourselves with secure people who can meet our needs, the less and less and less needs we actually need to convey. So here's a role that emotions play. If you are feeling angry in a relationship, it is a direct sign that you are not setting your boundaries that you have not clearly set boundaries and made ramifications. Anger is a direct sign that someone has transgressed a boundary. The role of anger is essential and it's important in human life. It's an emotion that keeps us safe. On a social level, anger helps us protest social injustice. Uh, but on a personal level, anger allows us to set boundaries in our relationships so that we will not be angry in the future. To the degree that we repress our angers, to the degree that we will be in relationships where we are constantly feeling unsafe or violated or not heard. 
to the degree that we vent and rage when we get angry is once again the degree to which our boundaries will not be known. To express a boundary, what we need to do is go away from the relationship, feel the anger and be with it, and talk to the inner child that's angry and ask it what would make it feel safe. Literally know the emotion, run by it, talk it through with somebody else, but don't express the anger directly while you're feeling it. Go somewhere, create a safe container, honor it, be with it, understand its needs, work through it with somebody else who's empathetic, who's in a, a secure relationship, who can help you unpack what the, the anger wants. And then you go and you state very calmly, very succinctly, straightforwardly, the boundary. I'm sorry, but I'm not ready to travel with you. We've only been dating three days. <laughs> Insecurity is the expectation of abandonment, and it's a sign as well that we have not stated our needs for connection, how often we're connected, how often we connect, uh, the quality of connection, the level of commitment, and so forth. If you are ever feeling anxious in regards to a relationship, it means you need eight needs. If you are filled with resentments, it means you need to set boundaries. It's not too hard to figure out once you get the hang of it. Needs and boundaries, by the way, do change fundamentally. When we grow up in family systems that are uh, insecure and we go through a series of partnerships with people who are avoidant or people who are not attuned our needs and when somebody is pushing us to do things that make us uncomfortable, we state our boundaries, over time we gravitate or shift the types of people we are attracted to and the types of situations we feel comfortable in and then one the need to state boundaries becomes less and less as we choose more secure people who are more attuned and can read our emotional signals without our stating them aloud. And then also, too, over time as we feel more secure, we will have very often not the same degree of needs that we first started out with. Very often people I work with who, come, who have in, um, preoccupied attachment at first need a level of connection that could be daily. They need to be connected with or, and then subsequently as they address, work with their preoccupied attachment over time, they might find that the amount of connection or the amount of reassurance and validation they need from the relationship as they develop greater support in their life becomes less. So they definitely do change. But I would like to say that there's no right Needs. The moment we start trying to become logical about our needs or we try to evaluate, we should never, with our needs, ask whether uh, stating them will lead to an end of the relationship. The results of stating our needs is not a legitimate concern because you can't change your needs anyway. They're emotionally grounded they're implicit, they're felt, they do not have a logic to them, they have a feeling of safety to them. It's like your favorite color or what, you know, you know, what 
clothes you feel comfortable wearing. There's no logic to it. It's just what makes you feel safe and comfortable. So very often over time, what makes us feel safe and comfortable changes. And so that's why we have to constantly have emotional awareness. If the ego needs approval, achievements, awards, uh, acquisition, needs you know a nice apartment, a raise, uh, a right to write a book that gets recognized, it's all about uh, creating a narrative story with an accomplishment at the end. The uh, inner child is a timeless entity that has the emotional experiences from various different points in our life where we were abandoned, wounded, emotionally hurt. It's generally an exiled part of the mind that is, uh, we know, stored primarily in the orbital frontal of the right hemisphere. Its needs are signaled through implicit, nonverbal, emotional messaging. And we understand it by, one, you can visualize, hold an image of what your relationship is like now, and you can feel the, the tightness in the belly, the tightness in the chest, the, the lump in the throat, you can visualize in a different kind of relationship where you're attuned, where somebody's available a certain amount of time. You can hold it because the right hemisphere does tend to understand images. And then you'll feel a dissipation in the vagal vagus nerve. Your right, your stomach will relax. There'll be a less of, a, of, of an emptiness in your chest. The lump in your throat will soften, the furrowed forehead the sadness in the face will be alleviated. Your body will say, oh yes, I like this image that you're holding before me. And then you verbalize that image. So for instance, you can hold in your mind while you feel lonely an image of being connected with somebody and what the quality of connection are. Are they with you at dinner? Are they walking through a park? Are they looking at you? Are they lying next to you? Are they intimate physically or not? And then you hold that image and you see how your body responds and how your emotions respond. And from that, you get an implicit, yes, that makes me feel safe. And then you express that to another human being. Now, of course, many people have had abandonments in childhood. And when they state their needs, they will freeze. They will get tongue-tied, they will black out, they will not be present. It happens all the time. I hear of it constantly in my counseling work. There's people who, because there's so much previous uh, times where a parent traumatically or a previous lover did not meet needs, that when we state our needs, very frequently we'll dissociate. It's very common. So you want to, one, have as many supportive friends. You want to practice stating your needs if it's helpful. Some people find it very useful to write their needs down on a piece of paper. It's not wrong to pull out a piece of paper and read from it if you find you get shocked or tongue-tied, you can't state your needs or set boundaries. The more you have secure friendships, the more you will be able to state needs and set boundaries. It's useful to uh, have people available to you directly after that you can talk to. So you, one will feel accountable and won't chicken out 
to push yourself into the vulnerability, remember that if you don't state them, you will continue to feel unfulfilled in the relationship. If you do not state needs clearly early enough, you are inviting other people to interpret what your needs are. And guess what? That sucks. Nobody else can guess what your needs are. There are no universal needs. Therefore, there's no feasible way another human being can know what your needs are. A human being can know what the, what the Buddha called the precepts are. We know not to kill, steal, uh, hopefully tell extreme lies or untruths to get intoxicated or wasted uh, while we are in a uh, connected experience with someone. Um, we know to be respectful during sex, but beyond that, many people don't have any and won't have any clue what your needs are, so you need to state them. Nobody else will state your needs for you. It's your job. Yes, it sucks, but you have to do it. If you want to make the full transition from childhood to adult life, along with learning how to choose secure partners, which I've given talks on, and learning how to have safe communications, which I've given talks on, we need to do this work. Now, finally, how to, many people will say, I've stated my needs and my boundaries, but the other person just doesn't pay attention or they ignore it. That's not really generally a case of them uh, doing something wrong. What it means is that we haven't set ramifications for violating our boundaries or for not uh, being considerate of our needs. What is a good ramification? A poor ramification is Cutting off the relationship, that's the nuclear option. You don't want to do that unless you've tried skillful options. A not good option is constantly explaining why you have your needs. You shouldn't justify your needs. You shouldn't explain why you have your needs or boundaries. You just state them, and if they're not being met, then you move on to the ramifications. What are the ramifications? Very simple. You simply say, Right now, you're not meeting my needs, which I've stated. I'm going to go away, and I'll come back when you're ready. This works because rather than cutting off the entire relationship, the fundamental thing that most human beings emotionally want to avoid is disconnection, the experience of somebody turning away, hanging up, walking away, disconnecting from them. I use this story again and again because it's in my own life and it reveals how important it was. Well, it's actually in my family's life. Uh, my dad had terrible boundaries and like all antisocial personalities, it didn't, he didn't mind getting attention if, it was, if we were furious, if we were angry. All human beings fundamentally want to be seen in the eyes of the other. But people, many people don't care if the attention they get is negative or positive, just as long as they get attention. But all human beings do not ever want to have somebody turn their back and leave them. That causes, from the narcissist to the, to the uh, borderline, to the um, antisocial, to the uh, histrionic personality disorder, to... Uh, uh, 
uh, the avoidant, all human beings hate having somebody hang up the phone or get up and leave on them. It is universally painful. There's lots of research by Matthew Lieberman that he reviews in his work, Social, just how emotionally painful people feel disconnection is. So you make it very clear, if somebody isn't meeting your needs, is talking on the, or on the phone while you're talking to them and you've stated clearly you need their attention, or they are disregarding your emotions or telling you that your feelings are incorrect, or if they are essentially transgressing boundaries in terms of pushing sex faster than you're ready for it, or being in any way triggering in a way that you've made clear you cannot tolerate, then you simply follow the ramifications. I guarantee you that they will learn. In my own family, my dad constantly uh, asked me questions, belittling questions about my job, until I fun fundamentally said, if you ask me this question again, I will get up and leave, and I did. And he never asked the question again. With my sister, he constantly asked, when was she going to have grandchildren? She said, if he asked that question again, she would get up and leave. She did. He never asked that question again. He was one of the most boundaryless, obstinate, antisocial people. He had wonderful characteristics as well, but boundaries were not one of them, but still he learned very quickly. Short-term disconnection, where it's very clear you're going to reconnect, but that there's ramification works. Okay? So... If you do have a time in a relationship where you feel really angry, really insecure, really uh, preoccupied, take a break, go away, feel the feelings, talk with somebody who's safe, connect with the inner child, the feelings internally, ask what would make it feel safe. When you get a good idea, when you visualize things you could say or do that make it feel safe, then go and communicate it and make sure the ramifications are really clear. I hope that there was something worthwhile in tonight's talk. I thank you for listening.